0: Well, hello, my name is Neil. I'm one of the pastors here at King's and it is a joy to bring God's word to you today. Wherever you're watching this, um, I hope it blesses you. We're in a series called Gentle and Lowly and we're kind of going through this book written by a guy in the States called Daynautland and it's about Christ's heart for sinners and sufferers, for you and for me. And whether you come to King's or not, whether you're a Christian or not, we have been walking through some difficult days We've obviously been walking through the pandemic, which the whole world has been caught up in. And then Europe has um, been plunged into war. And then more recently, you know, rising prices, inflation, uh, it's still difficult times for us. And this book has been a great encouragement, a great blessing to me. It came out one month into the first lockdown. And I still remember reading the introduction to the book says that this book is written for the discouraged, the frustrated, the weary, the disenchanted, the cynical, the empty, those running on fumes. And when I first read this book, that was me, and maybe that's you today. So we're gonna continue in our journey into Christ's heart as we look at the emotional life of Christ. We're gonna read from John 11, And in this moment, Jesus is just up beyond the Jordan River where he was baptized and he receives word that one of his dear friends, Lazarus, isn't well. Uh, We can read in verse five that Jesus loved Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha. And so then Jesus travels to Bethany where Lazarus was. And this is where we're going to pick up in verse 17 of John 11. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, no, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God, who is to come into the world. And now jump into verse 32. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, by this time there is a bad odor for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone I wonder what comes to your mind if I said that person is emotional. Maybe you'd think of crying, maybe even wailing, overdramatic, falling apart, reactionary, driven by emotion. Now I'm quite an emotional person. There's a personality test called Myers-Briggs and one of the categories is are you a thinker or a feeler? Do you think more logically or do you feel things more quickly? And I am definitely a feeler, I'm known on our staff team and in my family, I'm a feeler. I feel things quickly, acutely, and my first response would normally be driven out of a place of feeling. Uh, This photo is a picture of me on my wedding day. You can see it was very well-timed. And uh, this is as my wife, Becky, was walking down the aisle. Now, the thing is, is that I had probably already cried about seven or eight times before this moment when I came to the church and I saw my friends, my family, I saw my nan, I just, I literally kept bursting into tears time and time again. My wife the other day reminded me of probably the most embarrassing story of, of me crying, was we were watching the new Beauty and the Beast film with Emma Watson, kind of like the real life uh, adaptation. And I'm a big Harry Potter fan, I kind of grew up watching Harry Potter, similar age to kind of like the three actors and uh, when I first watched the new Beauty and the Beast film, I'm ashamed to say I even shed a slight tear because I felt proud of um, Emma Watson, who I'd obviously seen playing uh, Hermione in Harry Potter and now was playing this, and I cried. How pathetic. I'm, slight, I'm very embarrassed to share that with you. And then in four to five weeks' time, my wife and I were expecting our first baby. Can you imagine what I'm gonna be like in that delivery room? Well, I'm also here to tell you today that Jesus was a feeler. I wonder if you've ever really thought about Jesus being emotional, having emotion. Maybe that's even a surprise to you today to even think about that. But what scripture reveals is a heavily feeling Jesus. Scripture tells us that Jesus was fully God and fully man. And this is a really important part of our theology, not half and half, Not sometimes this, sometimes that, but once Jesus took on flesh, he was fully God and fully man. When Jesus clothed himself in our humanity, he took on with it every aspect of what it means to be human and emotions are an important part of being human. Hebrews 2.17 says, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Hebrews 4.15, which is what Joe spoke on in week one of the series. For we do not have a great high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Jesus being fully man in every respect, feeling everything that we feel, being tempted in every way yet without sin. And this is a very important distinction for us today. The reason the word emotional often carries with it, kind of some negative connotations is, is that our emotions have been tainted by sin. They're fallen. Emotions are not in and of themselves sinful. Emotions did not begin after the fall. We see in the very beginning in Genesis 1 that God creates and he says it is good. On the sixth day, he creates man and woman and he says it is very good. There's an increased sense of joy. And on the seventh day, he sits back, he rests and he looks over his creation, a happy God. Our whole theology of the Trinity is that God the Father, Jesus the Son and the Holy Spirit have been in joyful, happy fellowship with each other for all eternity, totally content, full of love and joy for each other. And this is where our emotions come from. They're part of our likeness of God as image bearers. The problem is sin. Our emotions are diseased, tainted, distorted by sin. We constantly, sinfully overreact and underreact, but not Jesus. Jesus fully man, experiencing the full range of emotions, yet without sin. John Calvin, who was a French reformed theologian in the 16th century said, the son of God having clothed himself with our flesh of his own accord, clothed himself also with human feelings so that he did not differ at all from his brethren, sin only accepted. So when we talk about Jesus being emotional, he's not like us, imbalanced, reactionary, driven by our feelings in an unhealthy way but rather full of deep feeling, flowing from his deepest heart, but balanced, proportional, in control, untainted by sin. So let's consider two kind of primary key emotions that we see in the life of Jesus. B.B. Warfield, who was a 19th century theologian, wrote this. The emotion which we should naturally expect to find most frequently attributed to Jesus, whose whole life was a mission of mercy and whose ministry was so marked by deeds of kindness that it was summed up in the memory of his followers as a going through the land doing good, is no doubt compassion. In fact, this is the emotion which is most frequently attributed to him. We see the compassion of Jesus everywhere in the gospels. In Matthew 20, Jesus heals two blind men. It says, Jesus in pity touched their eyes and immediately they recovered their sight. In Mark 1:40, Jesus heals a man with leprosy. It says, Jesus moved with pity, stretched out his hand and touched him. In Luke seven, Jesus has compassion on a widow. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. Now for us, the word pity doesn't carry with it an awful lot of emotion today. It's even actually in some ways a a bit of a negative word for us. But in these texts, the words pity and compassion share the same kind of Greek word and it speaks of actually of one's intestines, of one's guts. It denotes deep feeling, a churning of emotion and longing, an intense feeling of love and longing and compassion stirring deep within oneself and this is what Jesus is feeling in all of these moments and in John 11. And it is this deep feeling of compassion that drives Jesus to move to act to reach out to embrace the sick the suffering and the sinful and because Jesus is fully man like we've said with all of our emotions, yet without sin, it means that his affections, his feelings are even greater than our own. You see, the sin that plagues our emotions constantly causes us to overreact, but also to underreact. Because of sin, we remain unmoved or not appropriately moved by what we see going on around us, injustice, evil, pain and suffering. How many times have you walked past an injustice? How many times, I know I have, how many times do we walk past a homeless person on the street and, you know, we feel some sympathy. Our emotions get stirred a bit. We, we think about speaking to them or asking their name or buying them something to eat, but then we quickly, we make excuses. Oh, do you know what? I'm running late. Or I did that last week. Or someone else is probably going to do that. Our sinful emotion or lack of emotion cause us to literally walk by people suffering and those in need. We get moved, our emotions get stirred, but then sin bats them back down, squashes them back in. But not with Jesus. He sees the injustice, he sees the suffering, his emotions stir deep within him. His compassion overcomes him, untainted, unrestrained, unshackled by sin. He stops, he stretches out his hand, he holds, he comforts, he even weeps. His compassion cannot be held back from those that he loves. He sees Mary and Martha weeping for their brother. He sees their friends weeping and we read that he is deeply moved and troubled. So moved that he travels somewhere between 20 and 30 miles from the Jordan to Bethany to a place in close proximity to Jerusalem where people want to kill him. But he cannot help himself but go. So moved and troubled by his feelings of love and compassion. And how about anger? Maybe again, this surprises you today to think of Jesus as being angry, but we see it in the scriptures. We see it when he turns over the tables in the temple We see His constant frustration and anger at the Pharisees, the religious authorities who constantly put their own image and their religious piety above worshipping God and loving God's people. But you might be sitting there thinking, "But I thought Jesus was kind and meek and gentle and compassionate like we've just been saying." Well he is." And the problem is is that we often see compassion and anger at odds with one another. We often see them as opposite ends of the spectrum, separate. And in our broken state, that's often true. Our anger is often fueled by sin, by pride, by ego, by selfishness. But again, that's not the case for Jesus. His anger is not like our anger. He's not quick tempered. He's not trigger happy, short fused reaction or or sinfully led. His anger is perfect. It's holy. It's righteous. We need to understand that for Jesus to be a morally perfect human without sin, he has to feel anger. B.B. Warfield, who I quoted earlier, said, It would be impossible, therefore, for a moral being to stand in the presence of perceived wrong, indifferent and unmoved. Precisely what we mean by a moral being is a being perceptive of the difference between right and wrong and reacting appropriately to said right and wrong. The emotions of indignation and anger belong, therefore, to the very self-expression of a moral being as such and cannot be lacking to him in the presence of wrong. What he is saying is that if Jesus truly is a morally perfect human, he must get angry. It would be a contradiction, a contradiction if he didn't get angry unmoved by injustice and evil. And we need to understand that his compassion and his anger are joint. They cannot be separated, they rise and fall together. Dane Ortland in this book says, a compassionless Christ would never have got angry at the injustices around him. His anger is motivated and propelled by his compassion. It is my love for my wife, Becky, that would cause me to be very angry at you if you were to mistreat her and so, with Christ. It is his love and compassion that fuel his anger. The two rise together in perfect balance and proportion, the full depth and weight of our emotion, yet without sin. And it is his compassion and his compassion-fueled anger that cause him to move and to act. His emotions drive him to heal people on the Sabbath and get into trouble with the religious authorities. His emotions drive him to befriend and love those that society has shunned, to eat with tax collectors and prostitutes. His feelings drive him to feed the hungry, to heal the sick, to love the sinner and comfort the broken. And it is his emotion, his feelings, his deep love and compassion that ultimately lead him to the cross. In John 11, Jesus isn't just simply mourning his friend. He's angry at death. The anger that we see in Jesus's ministry is ultimately an anger at sin, death, and the devil. This is the great enemy and why Jesus had come. It was the Pharisees' sin that had caused them to be corrupt, to make idols of themselves and their piety, to not serve and loved the sick and sinful. It was sin that turned the temple into a den of thieves and now death had taken his friend. This is what moved Jesus so much that he would leave heaven. His compassion for the lost and his anger at sin and death rise together churning deep within him. His emotions propel him to step in to take on flesh. Enraged by death, full of compassion for us, he goes to the cross where he fully identifies with us, taking on the full weight and judgment of our sin. In John 11, Jesus travels to Bethany and after weeping with friends and family, Jesus stands outside the tomb of his dear friend Lazarus and calls him out. And then not long after in Jerusalem, a mere two miles away, Jesus hangs on a cross and he himself enters the tomb so that once and for all, everyone who believes in him may also be called out. What does this mean for us today? If you don't know Jesus, there is an invitation for you to know this, Jesus. Not a distant deity, not a far off God, not simply a teacher or a wise man, not a jealous, selfish, fool and quarrelsome God like we see in Greek mythology, not a God who puts the burden on on you and tells you to do more, but a God who takes the burden on himself A God who sees you, who loves you, who knows you by name, and whose deep love and affection and feeling for you led him to die for you. He says to you today, come out, come to me. If you already know him, and this series is largely kind of for people who already know Christ, He invites you to know him more, to live in the full knowledge and awareness and reality of his deep affection for you. And we often fail to remember that this same Jesus that we've talked about today is the same Jesus for us today. When Jesus ascended to heaven, he went with the very body reflecting his full humanity that was raised out of the tomb, the son of God, clothed himself with humanity and will never again unclothe himself. He became a man and always will be. He is, was and always will be divine, fully God, but his humanity once taken on will never end. This is who Jesus is for us, for you today. The same depth of emotion and feeling that we see in the gospels in John 11 that Jesus has towards sinners and sufferers is exactly how he feels for you today. Jesus hasn't changed. He isn't absent. He isn't growing cold and tired of you. He isn't a a ticking bomb with his grace and patience slowly ticking down. His compassion and anger still rise together when he sees you suffering and when he sees sin corrupting your life. And if today Sin has taken root in your life again. And maybe you've begun to doubt God's grace for you or shame has prevented you from turning back to him. Remember the words of Paul in Romans 5. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled Shall we be saved by his life? You were once enemies with God, far from him, dead in your sin. And at that moment, God's love for you caused him to send his son to die for you. How much more now that you are children of God, a son, a daughter of God, how much more will he continue to love you and save you if then you were enemies and now you are children of God? The same grace that you accepted, the same good news as on that first day when you accepted Jesus is the same grace and good news for you here today. So turn to him. And right now, Jesus in full bodily humanity is seated at the right hand of the father, constantly praying for you, interceding for you, advocating for you. Do you know that? He's not absent. He's not distant. He is right now praying for you. When he sees your pain and your suffering, your sin, he is deeply moved and troubled. He weeps. So he prays for you. He continues to move towards you in the work of the Holy Spirit. He offers new mercy. He extends more grace. He gives us strength in our weakness, peace in our storms and forgiveness for our sins. His heart. Like this book says, his heart is moved for the discouraged, the frustrated, the weary, the disenchanted, the cynical, the empty, those running on fumes. Imagine the deepest emotion you've ever felt. Maybe the birth of a child or wedding day or buying your house, your car a promotion. Imagine the agonizing, gut-wrenching grief of losing a loved one. Or the anger of seeing countries invaded or people abused for the colour of their skin. Whatever you have felt over these last few years and whatever you feel today, the highs and the lows are but a drop in the ocean for how Jesus feels about those circumstances and about you. His depth of emotion for you is limitless, never-ending, unyielding. He will never overreact with you. He will never be quick-tempered with you, scorn you or turn you away. He will never underreact. He will never idly walk past unmoved by your pain. He has been tempted in every way and so he is able to sympathise. He is gentle and lowly in heart. He will never cast you out. His mercies are new every morning. He feels deeply for you and is pained by the things The pain you. The only requisite that he puts on us, on you today, is to come to him. To bring our burdens and to bring our sin. Come to me and I will give you rest. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. So let's come to him now.